another passage of Scripture that's so appropriate. When you read the Gospels, Matthew begins with the genealogy of Jesus. Mark begins with the ministry of Jesus. Luke begins with the birth of Jesus. But the Gospel of John begins with the pre-incarnate existence of Jesus as one with the Father. And so listen to these words from the first chapter of the Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The light has come into the world. Father, for being the light of life, the light of creation, the light of eternity, the light that is a lamp unto our feet, we do thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.
thank you. What a marvelous message and so beautifully done. Thank you, Dwayne. Speaking of messages, I love children's art. They just so magnificently, simply, and succinctly state what they're feeling. And uh, a number of years ago, many years ago now, we had a children's uh, art exhibit at Christmas. Now, we, Reby and Betty Ann, they have Christmas and art ex exhibits of all kinds up and down the Musselman corridor uh, throughout the year. But this is before we had that beautiful new children's building. So it's been that long ago. We had the, the uh, children's art displayed on the walls of the gymnasium. And I walked around and looked at it, and I was just refreshed by it. And one just grabbed my attention. I've never forgotten it. In fact, I wish the mother could find it. I'd like to have it or have a copy of it. It was a, a, a little child describing the birth of Jesus, the manger. So in rather primitive form, we've got the animals there, we've got the manger, and we've got Mary, and we've got Joseph. And obviously this child was impressed with the fact that there was a star and the heavens declared the glory of God and the, the, her, her picture was just ablaze with light. I mean, there were stars flashing everywhere and, and lights coming on. It was just, it was just an explosion of, of light and of color. And she had Jesus pictured in the manger, but he wasn't in the manger. It was more like he was in a recliner, <laughs> kind of sitting up there watching this heavenly explosion. And the thing that got me was, he was sitting up there in the reclining manger with colored glasses on. I said, that's Jesus and Foster Grant. I mean, look at that. Isn't that terrific? You know what she caught, what that child had understood, that a lot of us adults still have trouble understanding, is the humanity of Jesus. I mean, the light was so bright, Jesus needed colored glasses. One of the early heresies of the church called Doceticism took place in the first century, still during the life of some of the apostles, particularly John. And Doceticism was a heresy that said that Jesus was not completely man, that he was God, but he was not man. There was one school of thought in Doceticism that said he was God, but he only became God at his baptism and before his crucifixion, when he was in Gethsemane, God left him. So they denied the humanity of Jesus. Some of us still do. We still have trouble dealing with the fact that Jesus became like us. That's what the Bible says. The Son of God became Son of Man, that we sons of men could become sons of God. He became like us to help make us like Him. He came to earth and took upon Him, as Paul says, the form of man. He did not count it. Let me, let me read to you from Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. Now, the word form there is the Greek word morphe, which means essential existence. Being in the essential existence of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the morphe, same word, the essential nature of man, of a servant. He came to be like us. He was a man. And because John was dealing with those folks who were doubting and questioning the deity of Christ, he wrote in his little letter called 1 John in your Bible along toward the end of the New Testament. He wrote three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And from the 4th chapter beginning with verse 1, this is what he says to those folks who were denying the humanity of Jesus, not questioning his deity, but minimizing and even denying his humanity. Listen to what he says. My dear friends, do not believe every spirit but try the spirits. In other words, try what you're hearing, not just by what you're hearing, but try, filter it through the spirit of God that's within you. The spirits, they are a God to see whether or not what you're hearing is truly from God because there are many false prophets, there are many fake preachers out there who, who are going around in the world denying the deity of Jesus. Now listen to this, he said, know you that the spirit of God, know this by the spirit of God, that every spirit, every person, every individual that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. But he goes on. And every person, every spirit, every individual that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, twice he uses that phrase, and he uses the Greek word sarke, which is what we use to describe our flesh. He has become in the flesh. Twice it says that. If you deny his humanity and, do not, and deny that Jesus has come in the flesh, that person is not of God. And that is the spirit of Antichrist. He is saying here that the spirit of Antichrist does not deny the deity of Jesus. It denies the humanity of Jesus is the Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now is already in the world. It is already in the world. This spirit that denies the humanity of Jesus. We would not for one moment deny the deity of, God, of Jesus. He was holy God, and he was holy man in this marvelous combination that only God himself will be able to adequately explain to us someday when we meet him. But we must not, at the peril of our own spiritual lives, denigrate, minimize, ignore, play down the humanity of Jesus. He became a man, a sinless man, to help us sinful beings become more like him. You talk about change at Christmas. My Christmas is a time of change. As I contemplated and thought about this message for the last couple of weeks, I thought back to our first Christmas here in 1959. And it was either in 59 or 60 that all of our family came here for Christmas, stayed at our house. We even overflowed into the home of Gene and Peggy Hickey. They, they, they were willing to take a few of our kinfolk. A lot of faith on their part to do that, by the way. But uh, my mother and father came. Martha's mother came uh, from Dallas. Uh, my brother, not married then, came uh, uh, and uh, two uncles came, two aunts came, and uh, we had a wonderful time. Mike was three years old, uh, Steve was eight months or older, at least it was still a dream to be realized. 
But this Christmas will be different. Change. My mother and father and Martha's mother. Two uncles, two aunts. Gone to be with the Lord. Christmas is a time of change. Now, you think about change and you think about God leaving heaven and coming to earth. You talk about change. That is maximum change. That is big time change. God would lay aside the robes of eternal splendor and take upon him swaddling clothes. That he who created the world would create tables in a carpenter's shop. He who built the universe would build humble houses in Nazareth. You talk of change. We're frightened by change. But it happens. It is inevitable. It is part of life. Life moves on. Notice everyone in this Christmas story is moving somewhere, changing, going. The wise men coming from the east, shepherds coming from their flocks, Mary Joseph coming from Bethlehem, and then being displaced persons and having to go uh, to Egypt. You notice they all came from somewhere and they all left the manger. Nobody hung around the manger. They moved on. And so are we to move on. And that moving on, that change is, is unsettling to us frustrating to us. This is why when you read the Christmas story in Matthew and Luke combined, you will read the phrase, fear not, six times. Four times in Matthew, twice in Luke. Six times. God's saying fear not because he knows that those folks are going to be uprooted, that they're going to, they're going to have to go through change. And some of it is frustrating and frightening. And so God is just reassuring them. Don't be afraid. 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 Twice he says, get up and move. Get up and move, but don't be afraid. Get up and go, but don't be afraid. Now he tells us that because he knows we're going to be, because we resist change and we're frightened by it, frustrated by it. But this change will help us understand something about God. It will help us understand that God has come to change us and that divinity has come into our dailiness. That God has come into our Mondays and our Tuesdays and our Wednesdays, not just our Sundays, that he's not just the God of a day, he's the God of every day. He's not just the God of a place where you go to worship. God turns your workplace into a worship place. He is the God of every place. He is permeating every phase and aspect of life. He is impregnating himself into all of our daily living. That's what the divinity of Christ means, and that's what the humanity of Christ means. The great God of eternity has inhabited humanity, which means that we have within us, in our daily living, the potential of a living Christ to be with us. Whether we're sitting there looking at a computer, flying on an airplane on business, taking care of a child at home, teaching school, going to school, God is in that dailiness. The master is in the mundane and the everyday. We think of him only so often in those cataclysmic moments when God reveals himself 
in stupendous splendor like at Christmas. But notice something. It was 30 years before God again demonstrated himself in such splendor. 30 years from Christmas. Years in Egypt, years back in Nazareth, building houses, working with people, breaking, uh, fixing the broken toys of little children. And he went down to be baptized with John the Baptist in the, jo in the Jordan. And when he was baptized, once again, God thundered. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 30 years of silence. Silence, no. He just didn't reveal himself in some sort of stupendous miracle. But God was at work in that little manger. God was at work down there in Egypt. God was at work with him at the carpenter's shop in those years in, in, in Nazareth. God was working in the stillness and the silence of those moments. God never leaves us. God is present with us. So we can face the future in faith that God has come in person. We can face the future with the faith that God is a person with us and that he brings with himself promises and that he brings with him provision for our needs. God knows our needs. Uh, Lisa is here this morning, our daughter, Lisa Pilgrim. She will not mind me telling this story about her. When she was six years old, she was with us in Israel. That's been 20-plus years ago. And Lisa then had a night-night with a little pillow that was inseparable from her. If we went out to eat, the night-night went with us. If we went anywhere, we might forget Mike or Steve, but we would not forget the night-night. That was just, that was part of her life. Well, she had her own little flight bag, little KLM flight bag, and she had uh, some personal things in there, books and color books, one thing or another, and her night-night. We arrived in, in Israel, landed at Tel Aviv. They put our bags on the bus. We went up to Jerusalem, got all the folks off late in the afternoon, early evening, and uh, got into the hotel, ready to start sightseeing the next day. Well, while we'd driven into the land, across the land, and into, into Jerusalem, uh, Lisa saw the Bible stories start coming to life. I mean, she saw all these places and these stone walls and these camels and donkeys and everything, so she knew where she was. Well, but when she got to her room, she didn't know where her night-night was. She had an adjacent room to ours, and we couldn't find her flight bag. Now, friends, that was a tragedy. We could have lost all 50 of those people with us, and it wouldn't have been as big a tragedy as that night-night. Martha said, bug me, you've got to go look for it. Well, I went down to the lobby where they unloaded the bags. Couldn't find it. I got the address of where they store the buses. And I got a cab and went down there, and they let me look on the bus where we'd been on. No flight bag, no night-night. Well, while I was gone, Martha got Lisa and said, now listen, we need to pray. We need to ask Jesus to help you find something that's important to you. And I ask Jesus to help you find your night-night. So they had a prayer. But when I came back, Martha kind of shrugged her shoulders, you know, no night-night. No about that time, someone in the group came to our room and said, you know, we, we've got one more flight bag than we, than we came in here with, and we thought we had. This is not ours. Uh, do you know who it belongs to? Well, we knew exactly who it belonged to. And we opened it up, and there it was in all of its splendor and glory, the night-night. 
Well, we were all rejoicing about it and happy about it, and Martha, very sensitive to, to matters, as, as she always is, said, you know, we asked Jesus to help us. We ought to, we ought to thank him now for doing it. We asked him to help us find the night-night, and he did. So we ought to give a prayer of thanksgiving. So we did. Had a prayer of thanksgiving. Brief prayer, thanking Jesus for helping find something important in Lisa's life, finding the night-night. When we finished the prayer, Lisa said, I knew that he knew where it was. After all, this is his hometown. Well, she was right. And you know something? Every town is his hometown. And every person is his hometown. And whatever there is in your life that you have lost or misplaced, he'll help you find. Just ask him. Have you misplaced your faith or hope? You mis misplaced purpose in your life? He'll help you find that. And he'll bring it back. Call upon me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you've never known. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I know where the things are in your life that are out of place. Let me put them back in place. Just invite me in, and I will do it. Have faith that you'll find those things that are misplaced in life. When we move, things change. Some things get overlooked, get set aside. That happens to Baptists when Christians, when they move from one town to another. They move their furniture, and they move their family, and they move their bank account. But a lot of them don't move their church membership. You left that behind somewhere? You need to get it up to date. You need to get involved in the work of the Lord. Here, where you now live, be a part of the fellowship of Christian people. So move on, facing change in faith, faith in the person of Christ, in his promises, and in his provision. And then another faith Faith in his love for you. Faith in his love for you. You know, we wouldn't know that God was love if Jesus hadn't come in person. There's just no way. He could have shouted it from the, from the balconies of heaven, and we wouldn't have believed it. We would not believe that God would be a person, that God loved us so much that he would give himself, his only son, for us. If he hadn't come in person, we wouldn't really know that God is a God of love. Jesus said, if your son is hungry and he asks for bread, will you give him a stone? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a snake? If you, being sinful, self-centered, evil people, if you know how to give good things to your children, how much more does the Heavenly Father give good things to them that ask Him? I love those three words in there, how much more. They're as great as those three words, God is love. Jesus says, how much more? 
If you, Buckner, being a selfish person, self-centered, a sinful individual, if you want to give good things to your children, the best things to your children, how much more does a heavenly father want to give good things to those who ask him? Just ask. Because what you're asking is love. You're calling upon love. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is taking hold of God's promises, God's grace, God's provision. Move on in life, in faith, in love. There's a story about a little boy by the name of Little Alfie. He lived in a tenement in the Bronx in New York. Very poor family. And little Alfie's shoes were just gone. He wouldn't keep his feet warm or dry. And he asked Santa Claus, I'm telling this for children who are here, they'll listen, and you adults will understand. Little Alfie asked Santa Claus for some shoes, some boots. Well, Santa had to work extra hours to get them done in his shop. Took him longer. Did some special work for little Alfie. Little Alfie waked up on Christmas morning and went into the room where they had their little inexpensive Christmas tree. And there underneath the, the tree, a pair of boots. And little Alfie was ecstatic. He grabbed those boots and he put them on and he exclaimed, hey, he gave me these boots and he knew my size. Isn't that wonderful? The God above Santa and above all of us knows the size of our needs, the size of our cold hearts, our damp dreams that we've lost. He knows our size. And he will tailor-make. He will fit his grace for every need in your life. Like little Alfie, you ask him, and he will fit his love around the needs of your heart. You can walk, you can face tomorrow on that. You can face Monday on that. You can go through whatever change is going to happen, confident that God is in it, and you're going to come through it victoriously because of your faith in the person of Christ, in your faith, in the love of God. And then a final word, faith and hope. Hope. Those three great words, faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope. Hope is not wishing. Faith is not whistling in the dark. Faith is the confidence. Confidence. Listen to this word. Hope is our confidence that God holds us in the present and in the future that God is holding us in his hands. 
Faith doesn't mean wishing. Faith means that God himself is holding us. We're confident of the fact that he is in our present and he is in our future. As you have been with me in the past, so will you be, be with me in my tomorrows, in our future. Now we all know that some of our loved ones have gone on to be with the Lord. This year, some of our family, some of the Fanning family, gone to be with the Lord. Beautiful Becky, 42 years of age, cancer, wife of Barry, my nephew. Becky's with the Lord, going to a lot of our family that's already there. We'll miss her this Christmas. I look around this congregation. There are family members from this fellowship that are not here this Christmas, that were here last Christmas. I know right where some of them sat, and I don't see their physical face. I stood right here in this place yesterday morning at 11 o'clock and conducted a funeral. Wonderful woman, devoted Christian, mother, wife, teacher. Going to be a sadder Christian, a sadder Christmas for her family because she's gone to be with the Lord looking at the faces of some of you just in the last few hours or days have celebrated the homegoing of someone dear and near uh, to you. They've moved on. They're not with us physically in person. Well, will we see them again? Will we meet them again? We will, will we know one another in eternity? Well, I believe I can say with all certainty that we will know one another in, in heaven. We will know one another in the future. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration in those few days before his crucifixion, Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he was enveloped in all of his pre-existence Shekinah glory. And Peter, James, and John were there. And Moses and Elijah were there. Moses, the representative of the prophets, of, of, the, of the law, Elijah the representative of the prophets, Jesus the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets on the Mount of Transfiguration, they talking with Jesus about the death he was going to accomplish, not the death he was going to suffer. Here is this incredible moment. And Peter, James, and John had never met Moses and Elijah. They had lived hundreds, even thousand plus years earlier than they but they knew them. Why? Because they were in the presence of Christ. They knew Moses and Elijah. And when we're all in the presence of Christ, we will know, as the Bible says, even as we are known. They recognize Moses and Elijah. Because if you are in Christ and I am in Christ, or people who have gone before me are in Christ, and we meet together when Christ comes again, we will know one another because of the living presence of the living God. Yes, we'll know one another. Will we be with one another? My mother's favorite passage of Scripture was the 14th chapter of John. 
In my father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's our future. And we can rest in the certainty of that destiny because we're held in the hands of God. And Paul wrote out of that confidence in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, listen to this. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain, they shall not precede us. We shall be caught up together. Boy, I love that word. Be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I love the sequence there. If the Lord comes back before we die, if the Lord comes back, and he could, he could come back before tomorrow's sunrise. No man knows the day nor the hour. It could be before we see another day, he could return. But those who have preceded us, those who have died and gone to be with the Lord, when the Lord comes back in all of his triumphant glory, the Scripture says we will be caught up together with our loved ones who have preceded us, who died before us. We will be caught up together with them. And then he says, with them we will meet the Lord. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't God considerate? He knows how much we want to see loved ones who preceded us. And don't you want to share great moments with people you love? I tell you, won't it be something when we all get there and mother and father and grandmother and grandfather and all of us are together who haven't seen each other for years or for decades and the Lord lets us meet each other and throw our arms around each other and then together meet him who is the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000 the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, the king of kings and the lord of lords, who doesn't want to meet him in the presence of loved ones? Yes, we'll meet again, and we'll meet together in the Father's house. So, wherever you are today, whatever change you're going through or whatever change we will go through as we move toward Christmas and beyond it, You don't need to be afraid. Put your faith in the person of God in Christ, in Jesus, the God-man. Put your faith in his love for you, uninterrupted, eternal, unconditional. And put your hope in the sure hand of the living God. When Jesus declared, I have you in my hand and no one can take you out of my hand. And so this week or this month or next year, whatever the days may bring forth, when you find yourself in the manger of life, that may be your desk, maybe in front of the computer, maybe with a book open, maybe flying on an airplane to a business engagement, God has you in his hand. If you're working at some carpenter's bench, whatever that becomes in your life, he has you in his hand. When you come 
to a Gethsemane time, a time of sorrow. No angels were singing. No voices emanating from heaven. And caring friends sound asleep. And you feel all alone. You're in the hand of God. Don't be afraid. And when the cross time comes, when we cross over, following him who took his cross for us and by his cross saved us from our sins, and his final word on that cross was what? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when it time, comes time for us to cross over the river of life, we'll say the same thing. Because from day one, when we accepted him in our hearts, we've been firmly in the unyielding grasp of the divine Savior himself. And when the time comes for us to cross the river of life, we'll be in the hand of God, and he'll take us across more than conquerors. We can face tomorrow with that, can't we? We can deal with the unseen with that certainty, can we not? We can. Dr. Warren Chandler, Episcopal minister, was dying, and his friends were around him. He knew he was dying, and they did too, and they talked about it. And they said to him, Dr. Chandler, are you afraid of death? Are you afraid to cross the river of life? His wonderful reply was, why should I be afraid to cross the river of life? My father owns both sides of the river right he does so when the time comes to cross the river don't be afraid god owns both sides and he'll have you firmly and eternally in his loving grasp thank you lord for sending jesus to be like us so that we could be with him forever and ever and ever let me ask you to put your faith in the hands of God today. Quit trying to do it yourself. We can't. Put your trust in the Lord. Say, Lord, I've been trying to get my own life straightened up, and I can't make it out. It, it, it just doesn't work. I want to put my case in your hands. I want to give you my life. I want to trust myself to you. You'll feel the firm, loving grasp of the Spirit of God upon your heart, and he will accompany you as you walk down an aisle to make public that declaration of your faith or to come to say I want to be a part of the family of God I know the Lord is my Savior and I need to exercise my faith in him and his people by becoming a part of the body of Christ in this place maybe you want to come to rededicate your life letting him find some of those things that are lost in your life whatever they may be recovering them in renewal of your faith. Maybe you want to come kneel and pray and return to your seat, whatever it is. Whatever impression you're having right now is not Buckner Fanning, never is, never will be. It is the Spirit of God. If he's impressing you to make a decision, I urge you to do that. For his sake, yes. But for your sake, what he will mean in your life. Trust him. I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand.
and let's sing. I sincerely hope you have enjoyed worshiping with us today. Now, if there is any way I or anyone on our church staff can help you, please let us know. We would count it a great privilege. Now, remember, 
that the Lord loves you and that he will always be with you. Thank you for joining us in worship today. If you have a specific need or a prayer request or wish to have additional copies of our worship service, please write to our tape ministry at Trinity Baptist Church, 319 East Mulberry, San Antonio, Texas, 78212. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful day.